0: Verse 14, the Lord said to Abram after Lot separated for him, Now lift up your eyes. Somebody say, Look up. Look up and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward, for all the land. Ooh, that's, I mean, I'm not even starting to preach yet. For all the land which you see, I will give to you, and your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent, come on, say it's time to move, moved his tent, and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would move in this place, and you would speak to us through your word, as we pursue your promised land, the promises that you have for us, Lord, we want them. We want to do whatever we can so that we can attain the thing that you have set aside for us. We pray all of this in the wonderful name of Jesus, amen and amen. You can be seated, you can be seated. Those of you that know me. You know that I like to cook. I love to cook. It's one of those things that to me, it's, it's my time to create. It's my time to, um, it's, it's my time to myself, frankly. I could put in AirPods and no one will bother me. I just cook. It's my time to separate myself and have a little bit of peace and quiet. And I love it because I feel like my kids enjoy the food. And There's something about creating something that you know your children will enjoy. Now, what usually happens is while I'm cooking, there's an order to the way this happens in my house. As soon as I start cooking, the little kids are asking something very specific. They always ask, is it ready yet? As soon as I start, is it ready yet? And I have to always explain to them, no, it's not ready. This is, this is specialized. This is something that I'm, I'm pouring my heart into. It's not going to happen in a second. So you got to be patient. It's not ready yet. As soon as they ask three or four more times because they can't help themselves, the older ones start coming. The youngest first, the older ones next. The older ones know to come out when they start smelling stuff in the air. And it always starts this way. My eldest comes out and his name is Raphael Micah. He's my namesake. He loves food. He's like me. He comes out and he says, ooh, that smells good. It's the first thing he says. That smells good. And then he comes over to see what's in the pan, looks at it. What is it, he says. Then I go to tell him exactly what it is that I'm making. I get into all the intricacies, and I'm using this, and I'm using that. And it's it's a real special moment for me because I get to explain to him what I think is a culinary masterpiece. Then come the other ones, and mainly other one, Ezra. Ezra comes and he says, what did you put in it? always asks me, what's in it? So said, don't worry about it. It's going to be good. He said, no, no, Dad. What's in it? I don't worry about it. He starts looking at the counter, not the pan. Because he wants to know what ingredients I'm putting into the pan. Towards the very end, after I kicked him out of the kitchen because he's annoying, the biggest critic of my whole household comes. It's Elena. Just go say hi to Elena, and you'll realize why she's so the way she is. She goes, Dad, am I going to like it? That's what she says. And this is the strategy, because I know that Elena influences Liana. And if Elena says she won't eat it, Liana won't eat it. And if Elena says, I don't like broccoli, Liana will say, I don't like broccoli. So I know if I if I don't win Elena, I lose Liana. So what I do is I I get a little portion of what I think is like the choicest morsel. And I say, Listen, close your eyes. Daddy, why? Close your eyes. You don't need to see it. You just need to taste it. She closes her eyes. Hesitantly opens her mouth. I put the spoon in her mouth. She chews it. That's good. That's good. And then she walks away. Having won her approval, when it's time for dinner, she sits there waiting for the food. I serve it. Micah. Before I even get to the little girls, he's done eating. He's just swallowing it all up. Bella, she's, she's my, you know, she's very obedient. She's a very good daughter. She eats her food, doesn't say a word. Ezra, he's being very picky, but he's eating. Elena, though, she's looking at the plate and determining what it was that I put in it, and she starts picking out things. I don't like that. I don't know what this is. What is that? Daddy, I don't want to eat this. After having tasted it and saying that it's good, she now sees it and says, nuh-uh. I know that sounds a little strange when you come and you see a child that has accepted what you've given them as good. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. But they will, once they see it, turn it away. It's not what I want. What I'm trying to illustrate for you is what I think is the habit of most Christians. is that God has something so good for us But what we see will determine whether or not we get to partake in it. And so many of you, because of what you see now in your life, because of what you see happening in your bank account, because of what you see happening in your family, because of what you see happening in yourself with your your anxiety, with your loneliness, with, with your depression, with, with your struggles, you turn away the thing that God wants to give you because of what you see. And so many of us are passing up on what God wants us to enjoy and to have because of what we see, because it doesn't look like what we want. We're in this series called The Promised Land, and it's about God's promises to his people. And it's this place famously known as the Promised Land. It was a place that God had promised his people to have and to own for eternity. But there was a process that they would have to undergo so that they could attain the promised land, and and in these stories that we're going to be learning from, you will see how these people represent who we are in our lives today, how what they see greatly affects them to a point where they walk away from being on the path that God has for them to be able to receive the promised land. And I'm talking to those of you in here who, you're frustrated and anxious and maybe a little bit unhappy with life because of what you see. And I'm here to tell you that even in the difficulty, even in the the green thing that you don't want to eat, even in the job that you didn't plan for, even in the financial struggle that you don't want on your plate, God can still do something good out of that. You ain't ready for me. I know you ain't. Because this, this room doesn't know what I'm talking, this side doesn't know what I'm talking about. Y'all are real hesitant. I need you to understand something that I've come to find out about God's promises for us. It's up to us whether or not we get them or not. What I'm not teaching you is that your salvation and eternity is something that you can earn. That is a free gift of God. That is yours. But the Bible very specifically says to us that you and I, we receive rewards and things that God wants us to have here on this earth that we can forsake when we don't do the thing that God calls us to do, namely because we don't like what we see. So here we see in Genesis chapter 13, Abram had just met with God in chapter 12. He just got out of his tent, and God called him to a land that he did not know. God called him to go to a place that he would show him. God called Abram, a man who was an unbeliever, who was not worthy of what God had for him. God still called him, and he set him forth on a path that would get him to be able to experience the promises of God, and it's encouraging to me that God would do this to Abram because Abram didn't deserve it, and you and I, we don't deserve the things that God has for us. You and I, we fail all the time you and I we fall off the pathway and yet God is still faithful and calls him and gives him this plan to go where he will be able to experience this thing called the promised land and we see in chapter 12 Abram's obedience Abram's obedient God says get out of your tent and go and I will show you and he goes and it's incredible it's an incredible story chapter 13 is different though Chapter 13, in verse 1, look what it says. It says, so Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev. Now listen, if you know me, like I'm I'm stopping at every other word to teach you something here because this text is rich with wonderful tidbits of information that you and I can glean from. It says, now Abram, so he went up from Egypt to the Negev. Well, in chapter 12, where we left Abram, wasn't he in Canaan? He was in Canaan. He had actually made it to the promised land. He made it there at the end of verse 8, chapter 12. But something happened in verse 10, chapter 12. Put it up. This is what it says. It says, now there was a famine in the land. So Abram is there in Canaan, the promised land of God, but there was a problem. And here's what I need you to understand. Abram is going to experience four different crises. Four different major crises in the next chapter. This is one of them. One, he leaves his father's house. That's a crisis. You don't leave your father's house if you were a man in these days. You just don't leave your security. You don't leave your family. You don't leave to a place that you don't know. That's a crisis. But he said, I'm going to do this because I trust God. Now, verse 10, it says, Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram, what did he do? He left the promised land. Abram, left and he went down to Egypt for the famine was severe. Now, here's the deal. Didn't we notice last week that God said, "I will take you to a land that I will show you." What God was telling Abram is, "I'm going to give you direction, but it's going to come as as we grow nearer as a as a God and a servant. I'm going to give you this, this direction as our intimacy grows. So don't, don't leave me. You're going to hear from me. It's not, I'm not going to give it to you all up front. I'm going to give it to you as we go. Nowhere in these verses do you see God tell him to go to Egypt. Nowhere does God say, oh, man, I didn't see the famine coming. Um, listen, I wasn't planning for there to be a crisis. So you're going to have to go to Egypt to find some comfort there and find some food. Listen, Abram did not consult God when it came to this move. He was frustrated because of the famine. And because of the famine, the Bible tells us that he went to Egypt. And in the rest of this chapter, he has problem after problem. He goes to Egypt and his wife is very beautiful. And the Pharaoh took notice of her. And now he wants her to be in Egypt his home. So what does Abram say? Uh, That ain't my wife. That's my sister. That's what he says. Because he actually says, if I tell them that she's my wife, they're going to kill me because she's beautiful. I can't do this. I don't want to lose her. So he goes into Egypt. He starts lying because he's afraid that he's going to die, he let his fear guide him and not God. He let the fear that he was facing guide him and not his faith. Abram went to Egypt out of fear and not faith. And he had massive problems there because he let his fear dictate what he does. He let his fear dictate his steps. Here's what I'm going to challenge you with. What are you afraid of in your life that has dictated your steps? On the way to God's promises, there will be moments where you will find yourself afraid, unaware of what to do because of a crisis, because of a situation that might be happening in your life. In those moments, do you let your fear make you take a wrong turn? That's what happened to Abram. He let his fear push him to an area that he shouldn't go to. How often do we do that? I'm I'm afraid I'm never going to get married. So I guess I'll just shack up with him. I'm afraid I'm never going to find... I'm not going to find myself finding fulfillment. So I'm going to shoot for the best degree and the best job and the most money and, and, and the, the best lifestyle. And, and we don't understand what God really has for us because of our fear. How many of us have made bad decisions because we're afraid? The Bible says in this moment, chapter 12, Abram was obedient But chapter 12, verse 10, he was disobedient. And it's in this moment that you and I can find the grace of God right there in our face because now God has promised Abram a future. God has given Abram a place that would be his. And now because Abram is afraid of what? Provision. It's a famine. That's food. It's money. How many of us make mistakes because we're afraid that we're not going to have enough food, not going to have enough money? How many of us make mistakes because we let money drive us? Abram, in this moment, fails God. He fails him. And he fails him big time. He He goes to Egypt. He goes to Egypt, and Pharaoh takes his wife, And Abram's afraid, and the Bible says that God has to step in, and he causes plagues to happen in the house of Pharaoh. All of this, a foreshadowing of what's going to happen in Exodus hundreds of years later when God sends plagues again to free the people of Israel. All of this, it's funny how history repeats itself, and repeat, listen, if you're not careful, you will live the life your mama lived. If you're not careful, you're going to be just like your granddaddy. If you're not careful, you're going to live that same. It's something that you have the opportunity to stop. They relive this hundreds of years later in Egypt. The Bible says that he goes to Egypt and God has to send plagues. Why? Because how is God's promise going to be fulfilled without Sarah? How is God's promise going to be fulfilled without Abram and if Abram's dead? In that moment, I think I would have just given up. If I was God, I would have given up on Abram. I would have said, Man, you were faithful once, but man, now you failed me? And then you're lying in the middle of it? Now I'm going to find someone else. Aren't you glad that that's not the God that we serve? Aren't you glad that in our disobedience, even after we've accepted Jesus, even after we've given our life to Him, even after we've taken steps of great faith, even after we've left things behind, even after, like Abram, we took everything that we had and dedicated it to our path to following Jesus, even after, the Bible says, he followed Him to the promised land and built an altar and worshiped Him there and left behind His gods, even after that, he failed Him and God did didn't give up on him because, listen, listen, the Bible is trying to teach us something very important here. The moment he believed God is the moment he stepped out of that tent, and that moment of faith sealed him forever. That is why you and I don't have to be afraid when we fail, because the moment you believed in Jesus, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. The moment you and I believed in Jesus, we were sealed in him, and nothing we do afterwards can take that away. The reason God is faithful to Abram, even in his disobedience, is because God has to be faithful, because God is faithful when we're faithless. And what we're seeing here is God saying, in those moments when you fail to follow me, in those moments when I put the path in front of you to take and you fall off of the pathway, I'm still good and I'm gracious and I'm loving and I'm willing to do whatever I can to get you back. And you're not clapping. I'm in the first verse. We're going to get out of here in 20 minutes. I promise. I promise. I promise in Jesus' name. It says, so Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, and his wife, oh, not his sister, his wife and all that belonged to him, and Lot was with him. Verse 2, and Abram was very rich in livestock. You want to know why? Because the Pharaoh gave him a bunch of stuff. He said, take everything and go. Oh, isn't that a God that is so good that even in your disobedience, he still blesses you. He left Egypt with more than what he came in with even in his disobedience, because God found it fit to look at his faith and still be faithful to him. He says he was rich in livestock and in silver and in gold. Then it says he went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel, listen, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. Abram starting over. Don't miss that. Each and every one of us, we get a second chance. And a third chance. And a fourth chance. And thank the Lord. It says, and Abram went to the place where he pitched his tent in Canaan at the beginning. So many of us need to get back to this place it's okay to restart. It's okay to get up when you've been knocked down. It's not, there's nothing shameful about restarting your faith. There's nothing shameful about coming back to the Lord after you've been gone for a period of time. There's nothing shameful about realizing that you got to go back to where you started. It says he went back to the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly. Where is he going? Back to the house of worship. Let me tell you the place you need to be at, the house of worship. The house of worship. Back to the altar which he had made. And there, that's where Abram called on the name of the... Here comes Abram again. I'm calling on you, Lord. I've made a mistake, but I'm calling on you. If I can encourage you to do anything today is to do this, to get back to the place where you're calling on him after a mistake. He's not going to turn you away. He's not ashamed of you. Go back to the Lord and call on him. Abram called on the Lord. Verse 5, now Lot, this is his nephew, now Lot who was with Abram also had flocks and herds and tents. Now, they're all very wealthy at this point. And it says in verse 6, the land could not sustain them. Do you see that? They were so wealthy that the land could not sustain them while they were dwelling together. For their possessions were so great and they were not able to remain together. Here's what I say. more money, more problem. More money. Hey, they had to separate because of the amount of wealth they had. Do you know that the Hebrew word there to describe their wealth is the word weight, because sometimes you might think that having money is the answer. Sometimes money could be a burden, could be a weight. And I know a lot of people who have money who aren't happy. I know a lot of people who have achieved much, and they don't find fulfillment, and it's a weight to them. And I know a lot of people who, because they have money, their families are not together. That's what's happening here. The amount of their wealth has caused their family to separate. It was so great that they could not remain together. Verse 7, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. So all of these, the, these two clans are fighting one another. Now listen to this. You've got to see this. Now the Canaanite, I need you to see this. Now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were what? Dwelling then in the land. I love this. Moses adds here, out of nowhere, that the enemy is still in the land. Now if you read this chapter, and if you read the chapter before, we don't ever see the enemy. You never see it. You only hear about its presence. In the middle of this fight, Moses is reminding the reader, hey. Don't forget, the Canaanite and the Parasite, the enemies, are dwelling in the land. It only mentions the inhabitants. Just kind of inserts them there. Kind of like when a scary movie puts that scary music on. Things can be going real good, but you hear the da-dum. And you know, oh my gosh, something's coming. You know something's about to happen. It's almost like, Moses is trying to to ramp up the intensity here and remind us that it's in the middle of all of this here's the ominous music there is still war coming the reason why he's telling us this is he's saying hey you think that the problems you have are bad they're only gonna get worse he says they're fighting Because of all of this that was happening in their life, and yet, don't forget, they're about to go into war. And maybe you and I have forgotten why we're really here. Maybe you and I have forgotten why God has us on this planet. I wish I could teach you the reality of what's happening here. God, I was talking to Adrian about it, is prepping his people for war. I don't know if you see it, you probably won't unless you go into a house church. Chapter 11, the Tower of Babel falls. And in that moment, all of the nations are born. And in that moment, the Bible tells us of different spiritual powers who are following all of these nations to create nations under other gods. And now, in this chapter, God is using his people to go And get ready for war to take back the land that the enemy took. It's too deep. I can't go into it right now. But there's a reason why he's saying there's war coming. Here's something I need you to understand. There's war coming for your life. Spiritual war. Spiritual battles. Things that you have to fight. Because God wants you to be a part of his redeeming process here on this earth. And he cannot... He will not do it without you. He tells them in the midst of all of this, there is still a real threat of war coming. And yet God still is expecting his people in the midst of all of this to operate in faith. The moment of war is looming. And I wonder, I don't know about you, but have you ever had something kind of just loom? Kind of hover around you? Something that you know might happen? Something that you know might actually uh, this week, my father had a heart attack. Um, it was Tuesday, Monday, it was Monday. this week, I, I've, it's been a long week. I'm sick. You can hear it in my voice. Monday, they called me telling me, "Man, your dad doesn't feel good," and his heart hurt, and deep down, I felt this this weird feeling of, oh my God, I think he had a heart attack. We go to the hospital, we stay there till two or three in the morning, two three nights in a row. Then finally they do an actual observation on him. They go into his heart and we had to wait. Wait for the doctor to come and tell us what's going on. And that was, I had this, this ominous feeling of something bad is gonna come out of that door. And they're gonna tell us that there's something wrong and that he's going to need surgery. It's in those moments in your life when you know there's something coming. It's in those same moments that Abram finds himself. And yet God still is looking for you to have faith, regardless of what's coming, regardless of what you feel might be coming the next day or two. Abram is here, and he's going through this, and yet there was still... A fight about to happen. So Abram said to Lot, verse 8, Let there not be strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are, do you see it, brothers. Now listen, I need you to understand this. Lot is not his descendant. He is his brother. He is his nephew. They're of the same blood, but he doesn't come from Abram. you got to remember that. Look what Abram does here. Is not the whole land before you? Abram says, Hey, look, look at all of the promised land. Isn't it all before you? It's all before you. Then he says to him, Please separate from me. Look what he says. To the left, if you go to the left, I will go right. Or if you go to the right, I will go left. Abram is doing something. Absolutely amazing here. He's being generous. He doesn't need to give Lot anything. This is the promise that God gave to him, not to Lot. And yet, in the midst of all of this, Abram is being generous. Don't miss it. He's saying, I'm willing to split this up with you 50 50. You go left, I'll go right. Now, what is left and right? East. West, he says, let's let's separate. You go to the left, I'll go to the right. Verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes. Don't miss that. Lifted up his eyes and saw. What did I tell you about my daughter? What you see. What you see. Listen, this is important because what you see determines what you do. Based on who you are. And here is Lot, and he sees all of the valley of the Jordan. It's a lush place. That it was well watered everywhere. This was, listen to this, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It says, it was like the garden of the Lord. Listen, it was like what? Egypt. There is always a temptation to go back to Egypt. Egypt. Be careful of the thing that's always tempting you to go back. Be careful of the thing that's always tempting you to go back to how things were. And compromising the promise that God has for you moving forward. Because Lot, how does Lot know about Egypt? He was with Abram when they went to Egypt, and they stayed there for a little while. And he got to experience The life of an Egyptian and having food and having water and and having nice land. And he says, you know what? That land over there, it looks a lot like Egypt. So Lot chose for himself the valley of the Jordan. And he journeyed eastward. Thus he separated from each other. Listen. Listen. What did Lot pick? The good thing. The better land is what he picked. Don't miss it. He picked the better land, and he left Abram with the worst piece of land. And if we were to look on a map, we were were seeing that what Abram was trying to split was half of the good land and half of the bad land. That's not what Lot did. Lot took all of the good land. All of it. At this point, Abram has a decision to make. Does he let him take all of the good land or not? Because this is God's promise to me. This is everything God has for me. Why am I going to let this go? Why am I going to let you take what I feel is the most fertile land, the most potential, is in this? Why am I going to only take this this desert? If it was me, I would say, no, we're not doing that. We're going to split it. You're not going to take the land that has every Look what Abram does. It says, So Lot chose for himself the valley of Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan. Abram took it. He said, okay. Why is this important? Because Abram gave up temporary advantage And he trusted God to bless him, even in a land that looked less fruitful than the other. And this is what I want to say to you and to me. Each and every one of us, we, those of us who trust God's promises for provision, can still be generous with our possessions. Do you see that? Abram trusts That God can take a desert and turn it into the promise. So much so that he's generous to give up what he has that looks good temporarily because he trusts that God can do something with something that looks really bad. So he lets Lot take the good land and he says, I'm going to be generous because I trust that God is going to do something with this. Us believers, we don't operate like that. When things look bad, we're not generous. When things don't look so good, we don't give. We're not generous. And this is the mark of somebody who's going to be able to enter the promised land. The promises. What if the promise that God has for us is being held up by your inability to be generous? Oh, I'll be generous when I have something that looks fruitful and good and flourishing. Nope. God says, The people that I choose to head my path and my people to the promised land are generous. I know that's challenging, but it's the truth. And I want you to grow. I want you to grow so that you can possess what God has for you. He believed that God could do something with this land even though it didn't look that good. And I want to be the kind of church that's generous, even though it doesn't look good. I want that to be the mark of who we are, that we're generous towards others and that we give to those who are needy, even when it doesn't look good. Because I've seen God do that for me whenever I don't have anything and I release it in faith to somebody else who needs it. God always comes back and he does something significant for me. When I don't hold back, but, I, but I, I live open-handed, God opens up windows from heaven. And here is Lot. Saying, I'm going to take all of the good land, and you and me, maybe we've, we've hit moments in our lives where things just don't look that good, so I'm not going to be generous. That is opposite of the way that God asked Abram to live, and opposite of the way a believer should live. If you trust his promises, you don't wait for it to look good. You just trust, and you're generous. So, so... It says, the Lord said to Abram, verse 14. Wait a minute. Verse 13, it says, 12, Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents to Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. Verse 14, the Lord said. The Lord said notice when god speaks notice when the lord said to abram when after after lot had separated from him this is key you cannot you cannot miss this god had withheld a word from him He withheld revelation from Abram until Lot was gone. Why? This is so important. How is Abram feeling at this point? Now that he's staring at a piece of property that doesn't have any green grass or flowing rivers on it. How is Abram feeling at this point? when he's remembering God's promise for him to give him descendants and to make a nation out of him, but now his only relative is gone. He has no heir and he has a barren piece of land. And up until this point, where is God's direction? I haven't heard God's, maybe you've been there. Maybe it's not land and no air, but maybe it's not a good job. Maybe it's unhappiness. Maybe it's a lack of joy. Maybe it's a marriage that's falling apart. Maybe it's disobedient children. Maybe it's anxiety and depression. Maybe it's a vice. Maybe it's something that you're addicted to all, and you're like, where's God? I thought he was gonna guide me. I thought he was gonna tell me where to go. This is where Abram is, and it's at this point, in this moment, that God's. it's important for you to see that God allows him to get to this point where he has nothing left so that he can see that all he has left is God. He lets him get to this point so that he can say, Abram, I'm all you got, and you got to be okay with that moving forward into the promises that I have. Are you okay with that? Are you okay if, if God says to you, hey, I'm all you have and I'm all you need? Or are you saying, you're all I want, but I also want a good job. You're all I want, but I also want a marriage that doesn't fight the way that we fight. And I actually want kids one day. Are you completely and fully satisfied with him? One of my favorite theologians just just passed away, Tim Keller. And one of the things that I loved about Tim is he always said, are you fully enchanted by him and him alone? It's because when you are, it's when he speaks. Look what God tells him here. You can get the band up here. We're going to end right here. It says, now, I love it. It's at this moment that God says, all right, now we're going to move. It's at this moment after you failed me. It's at this moment after after you've made mistakes. It's at this moment after you've given away the land. It's at this moment after you've disobeyed me. It's in this moment that I'm going to speak to you now that your error is gone, now that your hope is gone. I'm going to have you hope in me. He says, now lift up your eyes. And look from the place where you are. Now, I don't want you to miss it. God tells him a direction. Lift up your eyes. He is telling him to lift up his eyes because this is Abram's countenance. Head down. The Bible says that he is the lifter of our head. It's in that moment that he lifts up our head. And he says, don't give up. It's not over. And if you've ever found yourself disappointed, frustrated, looking down, here comes God. And he says, lift up your head. use your eyes and look from the place where you are. Check this out, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. Oh, I love it. God is about to get very specific with him. In chapter 12, God wasn't specific. He said, go to a place that I will show you. Now. Now God starts to reveal a little bit more of what his plan is. Listen, eventually God will, will reveal it to you. Eventually, God will give you all the details that you need. And if you read it here, God is. this is the revelation of God that is the most detailed for Abram. And, and he's going to get even more detailed, even more detailed. What, it, what I'm trying to tell you is don't give up because you don't know what's next. Don't give up because you don't have an answer for next week. Don't give up because next month looks pretty bad. Don't give up because you don't know what's going to happen six months from now. The Bible says as long as you follow him, as long as you follow him on the pathway and stay faithful and trust him. As long as you believe him to make something out of nothing. As long as you trust him to take a barren wasteland and turn it into something beautiful and turn it into his promise. As long as you can trust him for that the Bible says that he will give you the detail. He will open it up and he'll tell you all of the great things he has for you. It says he says now look northward, southward eastward and westward. Wait a minute. Didn't Lot go to the east? Wait, 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 God, I gave that up. I already gave that away to Lot. I can't have that. God says, no, no, what you gave away, I'm bringing right back to you. What you lost, I'm bringing right back. The things that you failed to do, I'm going to do for you. And even though you lost it, and even though you gave, some of you, you've made mistakes, and you've given away some things, and you've done some things in your life that you're not, you're you're ashamed of, you're not too happy about, and you feel like they can't be restored. Your family can't be fixed. My, My health can't be restored. My joy can never come back. I've already given up on that. How many of you can say that? I've already given up on joy. I've already lost that. I've already given up on my parents. I've already given up on my happiness God said no no the thing that you think can't come back I'm bringing back look northward look southward look eastward look westward I am the God who can do all things look eastward eastward and westward for all the land which you see everything you see God is so specific here this is his, his revelation to him. He said, now, this is what I'm gonna do for you. Everything that you see will be yours. And I will give it to you, and I'm gonna give it to your descendants forever. Notice, he didn't say Lot. He said, I'm gonna give it to your descendants. You're gonna have a child. I know that you're worried about that. Abram knows Sarah can't have babies. Abram knows my only hope was Lot. The only hope I had for descendants was in Lot. God's like, you think, but you don't trust. Quit thinking and start trusting. What looks impossible for you is possible for me. And I know you already said, I can't do this with Sarah. Oh yes you can, as long as I'm with you. And I know you're thinking the same thing, I can't do it in this life. And I'm never gonna make it the way I'm going. And this thing that I've accomplished up until now isn't enough to get me where I need to go and to follow. God's promises and God's like, no, no, no. The thing that you've already decided is not enough. You have not understood that as long as I'm in the equation, it's okay. I'm gonna give it to you and your descendants then he says something here so powerful he says as the dust of the earth so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth then your descendants can also be numbered oh don't miss it people when you think of Abram think of the moment when he stood under the stars and God said count the stars this is more significant but we forget it in this chapter he says the dust why is God talking about dust because what is Abram looking at a bunch of dust a desert full of it Abram is sitting there looking at this wasteland and he's saying nothing can come from this This is the promise God said, oh, I'm gonna help you with Sarah and that dust If anyone can count the dust Then they'll be able to number your descendants. God is saying what you think is dust. I think is dirt Can anything grow in dust? Can a seed grow in dust? No. Where does seed grow? In the dirt. Why doesn't God say in every, every sand, every, every piece of dirt that you walk on, everything that's, that's gonna, he says the dust, it's the dust versus the dirt God is saying to him and he's saying to us what looks like dust to you is dirt to me what looks impossible to you is possible with me what seems dead and unworkable is alive and full of potential what others pass upon because Lot said no I'm gonna promote it I'm gonna make it flourish even though Lot didn't pick it, it's okay. God's promises are never tied to a person. It's tied to a God who can take a dry, dusty place and turn it into a garden, flowing with life. He said, look at the dust. That's gonna be your inhabitants. Maybe you've been staring at a bunch of dust say nothing can come from this and God's saying oh yeah something will because I made a promise to you And no matter how much you mess this up I'm going to make it all right then he says verse 17 arise stand up with me stand up stand up stand up stand, stand up with me arise walk about the land walk walk around the land through its length and its breadth. for i will give it to you hey this is a symbolic moment a land when he was granting somebody who was purchasing the land access to it he would say walk around it walk it it was a part of the contract it was a part of the contract you would not let them walk about it in this way until you were ready to seal the deal God is telling them, now is your time. I am granting you this promise. He says, walk around the land through its length and its breadth, for I will give it to you. Listen. He's saying, claim the land now. With every step you take, you're claiming it. But you're not going to possess it right now. You can claim it right now but you're gonna possess it later this is a difficult thing it's a difficult thing but i think god is asking us to do the same i think god is asking us to take steps of faith and to walk and to make claims in our life over our families over our children over our community, over our lives. Take steps of faith and claiming it now that this is God's promise. That God's gonna work it out for me in this place. Even though it hasn't fixed itself yet, even though the promise hasn't been fulfilled it will be fulfilled and i wonder if we could be that kind of church that takes steps in faith and say you know what it's not done yet but i'm trusting god and i'm taking steps of faith you know what it's not fixed yet but i'm taking steps and claiming that my health is going to be better i'm taking steps and claiming that the path that god has for me is leading me to where he wants me i'm taking steps Then it says, then Abram, Abram moved his tent, and he came and he dwelt by the oaks of Mamron, which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Can I just tell you something? He put his tent, he moved it, and he put it in Hebron. Hebron is like Mount Everest. It's the highest place in the land. Why would Abram put it there? I believe Abram put his tent there so that he could always see the north, the south, the east, and the west. And he could be remembered of God's promises. Will you take a stand today? and Say, I'm I'm taking steps of faith. I'm setting up my tent in Haran. And I'm going to keep God's promises ahead of me. I'm going to trust God and His promises. I'm going to always look at His promises. I'm going to be reminding myself of His promises. Today's the day to do that. Today's the day. Today is the day where you say, I'm taking steps of faith, setting up my tent, and putting God's promises ahead of me, and I'm going to ask you to do that. I'm going to ask you to do that right now. If that's you, and you're saying today, I've made mistakes. I haven't done things well. I've given some things away. I've done things I'm ashamed of and I wish I could take back. Today, I, I'm standing on God's promises that he's going to fix those things, that he's going to give me back what I've lost, that he's going to restore my life. Today's your day and I'm going to give you a chance. I want to pray for you. I want to make sure that you're prayed over and that you know that God is with you and that his promises are sure and steadfast. I'm gonna ask the house church pastors to come up right now. And if you're here today and you say, I'm gonna take a step of faith. I'm gonna trust God from here on out. I'm gonna trust God with whatever I have. I want you to come up. I want you to come up as we sing, as we pray so we can lay hands on you, we can pray over you, and we can trust that God's gonna do something significant for you, give you a chance. I'm gonna count to three. Make it real simple. On the count of three, if you need prayer, if today you're saying, I'm going to make a decision, here's your moment. One, don't think about it. Two, I know you're worried. Three, why don't you come down and let us pray for you. If you need it, we're here to pray, and we're going to sing, and we're going to trust that we're in God's house, and we're going to hear his promises, and we're going to see him move. Come on, let's come on. Come on. Come on.